What's up, everybody? My name's Dustin, and this is the Sweet Science Class Podcast. Now, because this is the very first episode, going to do just a quick little intro. If you're listening, there's probably a good chance you follow us on Facebook. We've got about 3,000 followers right now. We thank you all very much for each and every single one of you. We have a linked Facebook group where we always chat boxing. We've got the YouTube channel and we've got the Twitter. So if you just type in the sweet science class on the internet, you're going to find us. We're slowly building our name. And as I said, this is the first podcast of many, many more to come. We're going to do at least one a week. Uh, And we're actually debuting with a very special episode because at the end of it, I get to do an interview with professional boxer Michael Dutchover, who is currently 11-0 with eight knockouts. But before we get there, the Sweet Science class is a three-headed monster. It's not just me. I got my homie Felix in California, and I got my homie Sergio in Georgia. So we're all over the the country working it, working it. So I'm going to have every episode we'll have a session where I talk to Felix on the phone, and then I'll talk to Sergio on the phone. And we're going to discuss different topics with each one, maybe a couple common topics to get multiple opinions. It's going to be cool. Sergio is going to get a lot of historic back in the day type stuff because he's got some great stories from his father and he's a little older than us and then Felix will be more of the new wave guy we'll be discussing the hot topics going on and then every episode we're going to have an interview at the end hopefully you know a pro boxer a referee a judge a trainer but at the very least just a friend or a person that we know who's a big boxing fanatic who can really hold the conversation that's all this podcast is we just want to talk boxing and give it to the world so today when I bring Felix on, who's actually already standing by ready, we're going to talk about a couple topics. We're going to talk about the DAZN card going on tomorrow. There's a lot of good fights there. We got the, which uh, this will actually, this podcast episode will air after that event. So we're going to talk about it. But once you start hearing this, those fights will have already happened. And then a week from tomorrow, you got the Bud Crawford versus Jose Benavides fight. We're going to touch on the WBC mandatory list that just came out, the Wilder Fury shenanigans going on. Uh, I'm going to bring Sergio on. He's going to talk about some stories he's been doing. He just, he's just got an El Finito story that's breaking the internet right now. And then we got the Michael Dutch over to end it. So we're going to get it going right now. We're going to bring on first the homie Felix Torres. He is a Texas guy like me, but he is currently living in California. I met up with him basically through this page about a year ago, and he's been just one of my soldiers he's been there since day one he's helped me out you know he's helped every bit of the page in the group since day one so i felt very comfortable bringing him on to be part of the team and so now he's on this so how you doing felix doing good doing good how about yourself doing good man good to hear from you we don't get to talk on the phone a lot seems like we just live through facebook messenger (laughs) (laughs) so uh sounds about right yeah so first off let's just hop right into it since it's the most current thing and it's happening in about 24 hours is this the zone card uh tomorrow i mean we got big baby miller going against tomas adamac you got thomas delorn with jesse vargas um what else was there there was a lot of there was another good fight tomorrow that i think i'm blanking on what do you think about this event well you have the callum johnson and bitterby callum johnson and bitterby how could i forget the main event so what do you think about these fights what do you think about the zone app and just all of this rolling out you know, I'm still getting used to it. I keep forgetting it exists. <laughs> That's sort of where I'm at. I feel old. I'm, I'm used to going to the TV and not the phone. Yeah, I'm, I'm old school, man. I'm used to, like, Friday night fights on ESPN2, HBO cards on Saturdays, 
or Showtime. R.I.P. HBO. Sorry R.I.P. HBO. <laughs> That's a sad thing. 45 years, and they're calling it quits after the Jacobs, yeah. Darian, Chinko fight. Me, I need to cancel my subscription. Oh, I'm canceling couple, HBO. Like, $9.99? $9.99 a month. It's going back in my pocket. As soon as the Jacobs, Darian, Chinko fight's over with, I'm canceling HBO. Yeah, same here, same here. But, yeah, no, that, 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 uh, Kenham Johnson, Peter V, uh, I don't, I don't see that going too far. I, I see Kenham Johnson, his resume doesn't impress me too much. Um, Peter Reeve, on the other hand, not like big notable guys, but he's knocking these guys out. And I always look at that. And I always say like, if you're fighting someone who's lower competition, you know, if you demolish him, then, you know, it's impressive to me. You know, he doesn't fight down to his opponent, basically. Exactly. If you're getting in there with, you know, average competition and you're going decision after decision after decision, it's not super impressive. And I agree. Right. No, Peter Bev is not taking out big names. But if you look at the quality of the resume and the quality of, like, their records, they've got some really good records, and he's getting them out of there. And yeah. I agree. Well, Callum, Callum Johnson, Johnson hand, I mean, got a Callum lot of Johnson losing on records hand. on his resume. Yeah. No, Callum Johnson, on the other hand, I, I saw his resume, and I'm kind of wondering how he got a, a shot at the IBF, at, at the IBF title. I don't, I don't understand that. It I is mean, a little interesting. I'd like, I'm going to have to do a little research and see if he won – you know, an eliminator or something that I'm not recalling off the top right now because I feel like there is other people in the weight class that should deserve <laughs> yeah, a title shot. Pretty strong. Yeah, that's a very strong weight class. So it is odd to me that Cal it landed on in Callum Johnson's corner. Yeah, I'm looking at uh looking at records of his opponents. I see a eighteen and forty nine and three, ten and seven, I see a Another fighter, three and ten, eleven and fourteen, five and eighteen, fourteen and twelve. That's that's like the guys coming from Tijuana type records, man. That's more losses than wins if you add them all up on his combined yeah. record. That is crazy to me, you know. And you got you got his fellow countrymen kind of dogging our guy Deontay Wilder for the same for the same thing. Getting getting you know he got the WC, WBC title. And uh, they say, oh, he was knocking out bums. He was knocking out bums. And I'm looking at their guy, Caleb Johnson, and he's not even knocking out bums. He's taking them the distance. No. So. <laughs> yeah, people like to uh, selectively choose you know, their agendas yeah. for different fighters. I've noticed that. Um, we will get into the Wilder Fury thing because I wanted to touch on their resumes a little more. Uh, right. What do you think about the big baby miller Tomas Adamick fight? You know... I think it's 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 set up for Big Baby Miller. I think a lot of these top heavyweights are fighting fighting guys who are kind of catered to their style right now. I feel like they're trying to set up bigger fights. I agree. Uh, this fight, I, I tried to get excited for it, and I mean I'm gonna watch it, but Tomas Adamek's just not bringing a lot of interest to me. He, he's pretty old. Yeah. He's pretty old, and I saw this, the face-off yesterday, and Big Baby Miller swallows him whole with the size difference. Yeah. In my opinion, if Miller I can't get Adamick out of there, I'm disappointed. So, if Big Baby Miller wins, who does, who, who's potentially his next fight? Does he I, fight the loser of this upcoming fight, or uh, the Wilder Fury? Does he go after uh, David Ortiz, I mean uh, Luis Ortiz. 
Big Baby uh, Miller versus Luis Ortiz would be a brilliant fight. But what I'm thinking and what I'm worried about is I don't know if you noticed, but uh, Shelly Finkel and Wilder's camp said that they denied meeting with Eddie Hearn for the April date with Joshua until after the Fury fight, which I don't blame them for. I think it's smart. You don't want to be planning future negotiations when you've got Tyson Fury standing in front of you. You don't want to look past him. So I have a feeling Eddie Hearn is going to be Eddie Hearn, and they're just going to move on. And I could see Big Baby Miller, who is an Eddie Hearn guy and who is fighting tomorrow, if he looks impressive or even not impressive, that might be even better for Eddie Hearn. They're gonna. Ma- I-, I think we could see Big Baby Miller versus Anthony Joshua in April, in the, in America maybe, maybe. Yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense. And not only that, I mean, negotiating another fight while you're in the in, in training for an upcoming fight—that's bad mojo. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. And I feel like it's convenient for Eddie Hearn to do this because he knows they're not going to negotiate with them. So he can be like, oh, well, I tried to negotiate with them again and they didn't want to. It, it's just convenient for him. Yep, it's all mind games. It's yet. all mind games. I, I feel like Anthony Joshua wants to fight. I mean, fighters want to the fight, this, these promoters, man. I think Joshua does want the fight. I see people think, say that they think he's scared. And honestly, at the beginning, maybe I thought that here and there. But I really do... I think it's similar to the Javante Davis Lomachenko situation. I think Tank would fight Loma, but it's the promoters. I think they want to protect the zero. I don't know what happened nowadays. We're just so scared of a loss. Back in the day, you could have five, six, seven, eight, nine losses, and you're still looked at as a hero and a legend. And now you get that one loss or even a draw, and everyone's like, oh, gross, go away. And that just doesn't make sense to me anymore. Yeah, we got a couple guys. Well, you know, Manny Pacquiao still left. Miguel Cotto just retired. Those were that last of that breed. Where yeah. They would lose, bounce back, win the title, maybe lose another fight, come back, bounce back. So now they're just protecting that zero. And as much as I, as much as I love Floyd Mayweather, and I've been a fan of his whole career, it I think we have to blame Floyd. I agree. He, I he agree. put it in the minds that that zero is everything. And now these young fighters come up and they want the most money for the least amount of work while they still look good on paper. Yeah. They're milking the cow. That's what I call it. They're milking the cow. (laughs) Milking the cow, trying to get as much out of that fighter as you can. Without taking too many dangerous risks. Yeah, there you go. That's what happened with um, with the whole Canelo Triple G. That's why it took a while for that fight to happen. I feel like Canelo wanted to fight from day one, but... You know, promoters promoters control the sport. Yeah, they do. Because I think Canelo would have probably fought too. But yeah, uh, Golden Boy made that delay two or three years. I don't even know if a lot of people know that they pay Triple G step-aside money two different times. Yeah, and if you aren't familiar with what that is, it's basically like, oh, you're supposed to fight Triple G in a couple months? Well, we're going to give you $500,000 for you to leave us alone. That's what step-aside money is, and they did that twice to Triple G. That's a fun fact for a lot of people that don't know that. They really wanted to avoid Triple G. he vacate one of the belts, uh, Canelo? Yeah, Canelo vacated belts, and to me, I mean, we're getting a little off topic, but to me, you know, they see Triple G go 12 rounds with Danny Jacobs. First time he went to decision in years, he looked a little human. Boom. Who was signing the fight right after that was Oscar De La Hoya. They know what they're doing. It's all it's all strategic. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. 
Uh, let me let me try to dip it back in. There was one more fight on the zone, then we'll move on. The uh, what do you think about Jesse Vargas Thomas Delorn? This is actually a, I think this is a pretty fun fight that I think will go decision. I think that's the most competitive fight on the card. Me too. Me I too. feel like both fighters are pretty equal. I give Vargas the edge because he's 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 been pretty active as far as uh, fighting the top level guys. He His has last win Saddam Ali. That, that was a good win. He knocked before. out Ali. Yeah, and, and Ali was coming off of a huge win. <laughs> yeah, and so. and that was at a lower weight. You know, like Mungia, like walked through Ali, but Jesse Vargas was small. They were the same size and not known yes. as a puncher. And he right. rocked Ali. And, he, you know, yeah, he went 12 with Manny Pacquiao. He went 12 with Tim Bradley. He had that close draw with Adrian Broner. Which I think he won. I do, too. I do, too. <laughs> so... To me, this is the most competitive fight. To me, it's the main event more than the bitter beef fight. And Delorne's got a good record, too. I mean, his only losses, uh, I know he got knocked out by Bud Crawford, which is there's no shame in that. Yeah. He lost to Ugas in his last fight. But, I mean, he's got a really good resume. I, I see yeah, this going. Lost to the guys he's supposed to lose to. Exactly. Pretty much. It's kind of yeah, like so. when anybody was losing when Floyd and Manny were just sniping fools. When Manny was knocking everybody out, when Floyd was just coasting the decisions. It's kind of like when Cotto had those losses. To me, you almost they almost don't count. Oh, you lost to Floyd and Manny? Well, that's what's supposed to happen. Yeah. At least you were man <laughs> enough to give it a shot. Right. So, who else we have? So, yeah, that's that pretty much wraps up the DAZN card. So for anyone, if you don't know about DAZN, it is a phone app. It is $10.99 a month, and you get the first month for free. Two weeks ago was the Joshua Povetkin fight. We got the fight tomorrow with a lot of good fights. Uh, I mean, just in the first month free trial, you're getting a ton of fights. I think in two or three weeks is going to be the Billy Joe Saunders-Andrade um, fight. That, that would fall into the free month if you wanted to just – soak up a bunch yeah. of free fights and cancel it you can do that yeah but, or you can uh, just take your take your hbo app money and put it towards there that. you go watch jacobs darianchenko cancel hbo and purchase the zone and if you purchase the zone today you get the free month's trial so by the time it charges you you'll have canceled hbo you won't see a difference in your wallet so i i highly suggest you get the zone even though i'm old school and this app thing is a little weird to me it's where we're headed, and we have to accept it. We have to accept it. I'm not going to miss a fight, so I'll watch it on my phone if I got to. Which leads us in to next week's event. Just in case we don't do another episode before next Saturday, I wanted to get a little airtime with the Bud Crawford-Jose Benavides fight. I don't know how you feel about Bud Crawford, but to me, in my personal humble pointless opinion he's number one in the world right now and I see that being debated a lot people say he's not number one pound for pound it's Loma, it's Spence, it's so and so in my opinion just giving the eye test of everything I've seen Bud Crawford I, I think we're seeing something special and I think he will be something amazing in the next couple of years especially I, I agree with that I think he is number one pound for pound fighter he's the total package. He's the total package. He's got all the tools in the toolbox. He is, man. It's like it's like he's not an A plus at everything, but he's like a B plus, A minus at everything. 
Yeah, it's what's like it's like that saying like they're not great at one thing, but they're really good at everything. Yeah, that's what I get from Terrence Crawford. Me too. And even though you know this might be my bias, you know the Texan in me, I would pick Spence to beat Crawford. But as of right now, their resumes and everything like that, Terrence Crawford is number one. Yeah. Um, yeah. To me, I see Bud Crawford is gonna beat. I think he's going to beat Benavidez, no problem. Um, I had a discussion with someone earlier, and they were like, well, you're sleeping on Benavidez a little bit, and it's going to be tougher for Bud than you think, which may be true. I'm not saying he's going to walk through him, but at the end of the day, Bud's getting the W, and he's going to keep moving on the number one pound for pound. The fight, yes, the, I think the world wants and needs. It's almost my dream fight at the moment is Spence versus Crawford. Which does tear me a little bit, because yes, I'm also a Texas boy, and I want to rep Spence. And against anybody else, I'm Spence all day. But I'm a really big Crawford fan, and I just think he's got more tools. I give the power advantage to Spence for sure, and I think the speed may be pretty equal. And they're Everything else is really close, but I just have to edge it to Bud. Like, they both have good range and distance, and it's yeah. really close. I love the way Spence, you take a half step forward, he'll take a half step back. He stays perfectly in the pocket to where you can't hit him, but he can reach out and hit you. That's how he dropped uh, Lamont Peterson in their fight. He stepped back yeah. just enough, stayed out of range, popped him back. So him and Bud is a dream fight to me, and it, I am torn because I want to go Texas, but I, I would lean to Bud. I would lean to Bud. Yeah, it's a it's a fifty fifty fight. It it could be one of those ones where we get more than one, hopefully. And maybe. And who knows if it even happens because I've seen Errol talk about moving up to one fifty four and then eventually one sixty. And we also heard Errol say he would never fight on ESPN. Yeah, that is true. So and networks and all that, that's gonna play a big part. Yeah, I think Bud signing his new thing may make it interesting. PBC, PBC has all those guys. All the rest, the rest of those welterweights are PBC, so they don't have to go through the struggle of trying to negotiate with Bob Arum when they can just stay in house and and get the you know get the same amount of money. Right. Yeah. That that with all the weight class and Spence moving up, yeah, we may never see Spence Crawford, or it may be 2020, 2021, but. Maybe eventually one day that'll be the next Floyd Manny. Yeah, I, I think so. But, man, it just depends on what Keith Thurman we get when he comes back. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, Thurman could come and play spoiler to all this. I mean, it's really exciting because now Porter's got a belt. There's a lot of very interesting things that could happen in the welterweight division. Yeah, because if you think about the run that Keith Thurman was on, he had so much momentum going for him that I feel like he was on pace to become a pay-per-view fighter. I do too. And he even somewhat adapted his style he, so he that he could keep winning. You know, he came mm -hmm. a little more defensive and a little more of a boxer. Yeah. And he has the personality. He has, you know, he has the, the tools to, to be a pay-per-view fighter. Yeah, he really does. And to be honest, at that moment with all his momentum, had it stayed going before he went out with the injury, I was leaning towards him beating Spence if they ever fought. And I used to kind of debate people with that. They'd be like, Spence is going to kill Thurman. And at the time, two years ago, I was like, I don't know. Thurman's got the range and the jab to make that very interesting. 
he's the perfect uh, example of stick and move. Exactly. <laughs> you know. And he used to not really be like that. You know, he was one time, but he moved up. The competition got tougher. People got a little bigger. And he realized, I might not be able to one time drop these dudes. So he adapted his style. It's brilliant. I'm a big Thurman fan. I hope he does come back. And that would just be cherry on top to 147. Well, that's what they uh, they have that. Uh, speaking of that WBC car that you were talking about, potentially coming out, That's they're talking about him fighting... Uh, a sequel to the Porter. Oh, the WBC mandatory list? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's get into that. I got those sitting right in front of me. Um, yeah, Thurman Porter. Possible rematch would be one. I could see that one actually happening because Thurman has that little clause where he can come back and get a title shot as soon as he says. So do you think he's going to fight a, He's gonna fight like early in the year and then maybe that'll happen late in the year? I could see that, and I don't know if you saw what they were talking about a few weeks ago about maybe Thurman versus Zab Judah as a warm-up fight. You know what? That's not a bad warm-up fight. I it, saw that, and I saw a lot of people dogging him. A lot like, of people that's dogging him. That's some good it. work. That's some good work if you're coming back from an injury. I think it's a good comeback fight. Zab Judah, sure, maybe a little older and you know past his best days, but it's Zab Judah. Like, it's a good test, and... Not to be a little biased, but I don't know if anyone saw that pick of me about a month ago that I got to take with Zab Judah, and I can tell you firsthand, the man was in very good shape. Well, he's he's a sparring partner for a lot of these top guys. Yeah. Whenever they're going to fight a top southpaw, they call Zab. Yeah, and you could tell. like He looked like he was in fighting shape I, when I saw him uh, at the Porter-Garcia fight, actually. Uh, he was out there, looked in fighting shape, ready to go, so... I don't think it would be a big deal. I, I figured maybe 140, we have a little more success. 147 may be tough for him, but hey, if you're coming back for a Thurman fight that you somewhat expect to lose and you get one little decent payday, I'm all for yeah. it. I'm all for it. Yeah, and it, it, like I said, it's a good thing for Thurman to get rounds. Mm -hmm. You just can't, you can't jump into the, the lines then right away. Which is why, uh, no, I'll save that. Let's keep going down the WBC. So the uh, another mandatory was a uh, Lenaris Broner. Now that would be a great 140 matchup if it happens. Oh man! Oh 140, or you mean uh, 144? <laughs> yeah, it'll be like 142 and a half. <laughs> you know, Broner has his own weight class. Yes, he does, and and Lenaris, you know, just moved up to 140. And I don't know if you noticed, but. In his fight against Abner Cotto, I think he weighed in at like 137 and a half. So he didn't even oh, wow. quite hit 140, but he says the fact that he has that extra couple pounds, he can eat more, and he's stronger. Yeah, makes sense, makes sense. Yeah, he, his power seemed to really carry up with Abner Cotto. I think him and Broner would be a wonderful fight. It's two pretty defensive counterpunchers. So it, it yeah. could take a few rounds to, you know, figure each other out. It'd be a good chess match. It, uh, it, Broner dictates the fight. Broner, if, if Broner lets his hands go, which he never does. Never until does. Until, like, the 11th or 12th round when he knows the pressure's on. <laughs> and he, he's down on cards. But he lets his hands go, man. I mean, I think he can do fairly well, but that's not going to happen. That's exactly I how I feel, man. Every Broner fight. I buy. I, I drink the Kool Aid every time. Every time Adrian Broner fights, I drink the Kool Aid, and I'm like, you know what? This is the fight. Adrian Broner is gonna <laughs> prove me wrong. He's going to fight. He's got a new trainer. He's saying in the interviews, 
I just guzzle down every drop of that Kool-Aid, and then he gets in the damn ring, and he stands there until, like you said, the 11th round, when he knows he's losing like a million to zero, he starts swinging, and by then it's too late. And that's what he did against Porter, and you saw when he finally let his hands go. He dropped he Porter. Porter out. That one shot dropped Porter, and it's like, dude, what if you'd have been doing that all fight? Exactly. What, what are you... Why do you talk so big and then you get in there and you shell up? Like, I'm a Broner fan. He doesn't leave it all in the ring. No, he absolutely does not leave it all in the ring. He is not the type that can leave that and say, I would die in the ring, I left it. Like, no, no, you didn't. You left, like, 50% in the ring. You didn't. It's very frustrating. (laughs) Very frustrating to watch Adrian Broner because I thought he had very high potential after Antonio DeMarco, but not so much. But yet he's still winning world titles, still getting his title shots, and I... I don't know how. I don't know how that's going on. Me neither. Maybe it's his personality and he sells fights. I'm sure that's what it is. It's just a little bit of the Floyd thing. If people hate you, they want to see you lose. Yep. And to be honest, that draw with Jesse Vargas was the best thing that could have happened because it was not another loss. Yeah. If he would have lost, that could have been it. I think that would have been it. And that's what I was thinking going into that fight. I was like, a loss here pretty much ends Broner. And... He got a draw that I don't think he deserved, and that kept him hanging on by a thread. <clears throat> the the uh, There's a couple other mandatories. The big, big one, if I was to choose one of the mandatory fights to make happen, and I've wanted this for about a year now, Gary Russell Jr. versus Leo Santa Cruz. That's the fight. That, that is, is the, the fight. fight at that weight. You know, I've... I've gained so much respect for Santa Cruz because there was a while that PBC was was cherry picking and I mean the guy was fighting I think what undercard was it that he fought they said the guy was like a construction worker I want to say there was an undercard of Mayweather Pacquiao I vaguely or, remember what you're talking about yeah yeah and like all those fights leading up to that fight he was fighting just I don't want to say bums I hate using that word right these guys are bums but you know, low low level fighters. Less than top. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, leading up to that, I was like, ah. Oh, but then he fought Brock, and uh, and he gained my respect. Yeah, and uh, him and Frampton, you know, multiple. Yeah, Frampton. Mul- Why did I say Brock? Frampton. Multiple yeah. Fight. Like, yeah, that that was it. Like the the Frampton fights made me earn respect for both of them. Yeah. Even in the law, the loss is what made me gain respect because I'm like, okay, he lost. And he bounced back, and, and they got to fight again. They have to. They fought twice, right? It's one and one. Yeah, it's one and one, yeah. Yeah, that needs to be a trilogy, but I really want to see Gary Russell do his one fight per year <laughs> against <laughs> Cruz. It does. He fights once a year. He huh? fights once a year because he, he, he doesn't – I think he's got less than great hands, which is, you know, poly Floyd. It, it's a thing. It's been – yeah. He's got less than great hands and he makes two to three million a fight. So hey. he comes out once a year, scoops up a couple mil, he goes home happy. So who would you have in that fight? Which fight? The Russell and Santa Cruz. Who would you who would you pick? I I have no idea at the moment because Cruz I think Cruz would have the length and the height and the range, but he likes to fight on the inside and give that all away. And yeah. Russell is 
arguably top three, the fastest, you know, the fastest hands in the sport, but he doesn't have super ton of power because he's got the less than great hands. So it's a brilliant fight to me. I see Russell being able to have success and maybe landing shots and pick him apart here and there, but Cruz just smothers and he's got the size and that that's going to be – if Russell can't keep it on the outside and it fights on the inside, I think it favors Cruz. I think Cruz will, will, will make it an ugly fight and fight on the inside. He has He'll to. He'll force it. He absolutely has to. And that's why I would to. have to lean towards Santa Cruz just because of that reason. I think, you know, the more I think about it, and I'll do a lot more thinking and my answer will probably go back and forth, but it may be like 55-45 that I would lean to Cruz a little bit. Yeah. <clears throat> I just think the, the fighting on the inside, digging into the body, doing all that, I think he can slow Russell down. I think he can slow Russell down too. And if you noticed in Gary Russell's last fight, I don't remember the guy's name. He was undefeated. He Russell clearly won, but that other guy took like four rounds. He won three, four, maybe five rounds, and he was doing some really good body work. So I like that you brought up Cruz's body work because I think about that. I think a little more body work from someone a little more skilled like Cruz, yes, it, it could absolutely give Gary Russell problems. Yeah, that's what I see happening. And what else fight is on there? I think that's it, right? Pretty much it. We got the Triple G Charlo, which would eventually, hopefully, you know, the winner oh, would get Canelo. <laughs> but I, I'm sure you read, like I did yesterday, Triple G's camp sounds like they're not going to go that direction. And they want the winner of Saunders Andrade. Yeah, if I'm Triple G's camp, I'm avoiding Charlo. I I agree with what they're doing, and I agree with you for multiple reasons. I don't think Charlo has been tested at 160. He's had two fights. One guy had one leg. The other guy it was coming off you know, a layoff, and he'd already been beat. So to me, he hasn't proven a lot at 160, but he is still a big, strong, young, hungry lion, and Triple G is getting older. Those Canelo fights are taking stuff out of him. But from the business side of it, I see people bashing Triple G's camp, saying he likes to cherry pick, and he doesn't want Charlo because he's scared. Well, why, why would, when you can fight Charlo as this mandatory fight, or you can fight the winner of Saunders Andrade and scoop back a belt. Yeah. That's the way I see it. Why don't you want to get a belt back? I, I think it's the smart way to go. I see people disagree with me. To me, I think it's a smart way to go. Fight the winner yeah, of Saunders. Get, and not only that, he needs to fight he needs to fight a really winnable fight because he's coming off of a loss and a and a draw. And a draw. You don't want your last three fights to be um, you know, two draws or two losses and a or so forth he doesn't want that so fighting a charlo it's a little risky because we don't know he hasn't been tested so we don't know what to expect yeah we don't and athletic fighters triple g seems to struggle a little bit against these athletic fighters i agree and charlo's very athletic like look at the first triple g canelo when canelo was on his bike he had triple g swinging for the fences and even the Danny Jacobs fight, and I could see Charlo being similar to Jacobs. Well, that's what Canelo was trying to do the first fight. That's what I think. I think they saw the Jacobs fight, and they're like, you know what? 
you know, he's using his legs, he's using the, the ring, using movement, lateral, lateral movement. That's what Canelo took from that. That yeah. was Canelo's game plan the first fight. Yeah. Then, of course, you know, he gets called out. I think pride set in. <laughs> yeah. You know, the whole Mexican style. He went that, Mexican so. style. I didn't expect him to. He very, very much did. That, that. I don't think Triple G expected it. I think him and Abel Sanchez trained to chase Canelo for 12 rounds. And when he stepped up and he stood in front of him, that's that's why he struggled. You know, I've thought about this, and it makes me laugh because I feel like you should have a backup plan, if not a C and a D plan. But I think Triple G and Abel Sanchez went into fight one expecting Mexican style. Canelo boxed and moved. They weren't ready for that. It took them off guard. Second fight, they prepare for the moving Canelo, and again, he does the opposite. And it's like they spent three months on each camp focusing on one thing. Canelo comes and does the exact opposite, and Abel Sanchez has no good advice in the corner to change on the spot. Nothing. He has nothing. Nothing. And, and I mean, did Triple G forget how to throw body punches when he fought Canelo? You know, I, I just, I don't understand, man. I was telling everyone for months that in the rematch, Triple G was going to work his body. And then he didn't do it again. And I guess he's fearing the counterpunch, but wow, man. How are you going to abandon the body shots like that? I was, that was my only real disappointment with Triple G. Is like, where are the body shots? The body shot should have been there the first fight to keep Canelo from from moving out in front of him. Yeah. And I think had he started to the body earlier in the second fight, since he had Canelo in front of him, when he hurt him in the 10th round, which I do think he hurt Canelo, yeah. maybe with a little more soaked up body shots, maybe that's more. Maybe he hurts him more at that point. Well, his jab is, his jab is probably the strongest jab. I mean, jabs to the body. No? Jab to the body. That's, I was seeing... Um, Teddy Atlas and B-Hop and all them talk about, they don't understand why Abel Sanchez wasn't saying, like, at least jab at the chest, jab at the yeah. stomach. Like, I don't understand all the head hunting. And One thing about Canelo, he's improved drastically with that head movement. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think Canelo's head movement is second to none. There's not many people who can mess with his head movement. Yeah, it's up there. And it's funny because he used to be just like a stationary target, and he just one day just got head movement. It wasn't even uh, something that slowly came. It no, like that's he went almost from one fight to being a statue. The next fight, you know, just boom. I mean, I'm athletic now. I'm got head movement. Yeah, that same with the foot movement. He he, he was always laughed at for being flat-footed, and then just one day, poof. So I don't know if he's a quick learner. Maybe some of them uh, Mexican steaks. He has a <laughs> he's a student of the game. You know, I also feel like him fighting Floyd Mayweather at a young age really gave him a boxing lesson. The Floyd loss was the best thing for Canelo's career. It was. It was. Not too many guys get a shot at that at the age of what twenty three. I think he 23. was twenty three. Twenty three. That's a boxing lesson you'll never forget. Oh yeah, he got worked up and down, and he went home. And he got way better. Yeah, sure did. That's why, I, you know, that's why I respect him. I respect him a lot. I just, it's the whole, his whole surroundings. The golden boy, the 
the bad judging, the you know, just the whole steroid allegation. Well, not really allegations because he did fail. He fell twice. Yeah, he fell twice. It's just just all that, all that together, and it just makes you think that he doesn't really have control of his own career, which most of these guys don't. But he's kind of a golden boy puppet to me. Yeah, I, I agree for the most part, and that that's why I'm always torn on Canelo because. I think people hear me talk a lot of the time and they think I hate Canelo and throw all the all that aside and just focus on his boxing. I think Canelo's a great boxer and I am a fan and I've watched him for like a decade now and I've yeah. rooted for him in certain fights, but he's got a sketchy judge in every fight. He's got Oscar being weird on his side at all times. You got the allegation. Well, yeah, like you said, he fell twice. Just this and that and this and that and it just... It's just a lot of it's toxic. It's it's yeah. tough to see. And and to go back on what we were talking about earlier, I know you have Terrence Crawford number one pound for pound. Where do you put Canelo after this Triple G win? You know, I, I was thinking before that if he somehow beat Triple G, it has to shoot him up into the top five. And Definitely. even though I think Triple G won the first fight. I don't agree with the jaw. And the second fight, I think, could have been 7-5 Triple G or maybe even a draw. I think it was probably a draw. I still have trouble giving 7-5 Canelo, but I'm comfortable with accepting that, and I won't scream robbery. Yeah. But I think I had a 7-5 fact... Triple G. I had a 7-5 Triple G, but if it's a 7-5 fight going one way, it can easily be a 7-5 Seven-five fight going the other way. Exactly. So if we have to take it for rounds, what it is, two rounds, three rounds, really close. You know, depending on how you judge it, that's yeah. just how it works. It was a couple swing rounds. So yeah. taking it for face value, Canelo got the win. I think this has to move him into top five. Maybe I, top call three. Call me crazy. I think top three. I I, was, I could see top three. I, I, I Bud Loma, maybe Canelo. You got to have Usyk right there. Yeah. To me, because he unified the cruiser division. But the top five is it's a battle just for those spots. I'm just I, I put a lot of weight on, on beating a guy who, who's held the belts as long as Triple G did. He was the boogeyman, he was avoided. Um I think that's a bigger win than the Lenaris victory that Lomachenko got. Oh yeah. So, you know, call me crazy. I got Canelo maybe two or three. I would have to really look put it together but on the top of my head he's, he's two or three yeah i really have no debate there i i could see it i've seen people even say number one but to me with the peds and the weird judges it, it's just tough it's tough for me to throw all of that above terrence crawford yeah same here same here um well let's get into one last thing before i wrap it up and get over to sergio in georgia we gotta talk Wilder Fury. Oh boy! My goodness, my goodness. Christmas, Christmas is coming early. It's a, it's <laughs> December first is Christmas Day. That is Christmas Day for fight fans. The press conferences you know, I, have been hilarious. Oh, it's, uh, it's highly anticipated. Me personally, a big heavyweight fight is like Super Bowl to me. Yes. I get hyped up like it's the freaking Super Bowl. And when was the last time we had a big heavyweight fight like this? You know, this is a discussion I also had with Paul yesterday on his podcast. He asked me why I thought boxing slightly declined in the last 10, 15, maybe 20 years. 
And while I don't fully agree with that, because the numbers have always been there, and you know, diehards like us have always watched, I do agree that it slipped a little bit. And yeah, put did. put on the spot, I had to come up with an answer. And immediately, what shot to my head was the heavyweight division died after the late '90s, early 2000s. You lost, you know, Ho, uh, Bo, Holyfield, Bo, Lewis. Before that, it was Ali, Frazier. You know, yeah, we yeah, had Tyson Foreman. Klitschko era was just. Klitschko dominating, and that everything just—it got really boring. That is one hundred. You took the words out of my mouth from yesterday's podcast. I told him that the Klitschko brothers came out, two-headed monster, and dominated the world in a less than exciting fashion. Mm -hmm. And aside from that, there was nobody else. There was no Tyson. There was no Ali. There was no guy where you're like, that is the man. That guy. I'm excited to be behind him. That's our guy. That's our country's guy. That's the champ. That didn't happen for 10 to 15 years. And I think finally we're getting back there with, I think it all started really, and I got to give props to Fury, him dethroning Vladimir was the first step to that. Yes, it was. Can you imagine if, if he didn't win that? We'd still be having the Klitschko era going on? Maybe. Or maybe he would have retired. Maybe he would have fought Joshua the same and lost. And maybe Joshua would have been the one to take the torch. Yeah. But, but luckily it happened. Three years. And now you've got Wilder, Fury, Joshua. You've got a three-headed monster, and the heavyweight division is exciting again. I have a weird theory, though. I also have another theory on why the heavyweight division is not where it used to be. And, yeah, it it's the Klitschko era, you know. But kids in that era didn't have a, a guy to watch. You know, when... We were growing up. There was heavyweights to watch. Now you have you have guys that are probably six five, two fifty. They're not boxing anymore. They're playing football. They're playing basketball. They're American heavyweights, is what I mean. American heavyweights are playing other sports. Yep, I've actually heard like, Teddy Atlas talk about that. How we're losing yeah, a lot if you of. Day, I mean, Muhammad Ali probably wouldn't have been a boxer. He probably would have been in the NBA or exactly you know, football. Or <laughs> See, I, Teddy was saying that it's not even as much football, but NBA. These, yeah, these that's tall, the big heavyweights also have perfect NBA. For, Deontay Wilder could probably play basketball. Yeah, yeah. Wait, I saw an interview on, uh, what was it, High 97 last night. He said that he was dunking the basketball in fifth grade. Holy crap. Yeah, so he's super athletic, man. He's an athlete with gloves on. I always say that. He's an athlete with gloves, and that is why I will give him the edge over Fury. Uh, Fury's a better boxer, hands down, yeah. all oh, day. Man. All day, he's a better boxer. Superior. Like, crazy better boxer than Wilder. But Wilder's an athletic machine who finds a way to land the rocket. And when he does, it's he blast 12, off. And he, going. He's patient enough to use all the rounds he needs to, to set it up. That's something he doesn't get enough credit for. He... It's not like he runs out there and turns into an animal. He's very patient. He will lose five, six, seven, eight rounds searching. But once he sees that spot, you're you're gonna get hit and you're gonna be unconscious. Yeah, that's why I'm a big fan of his. He's he's kind of like uh, how do I say it? Like if you were just to get some guy off the streets, teach him how to fight, put some gloves on him, because what he started at like 18, 19? I think twenty. Twenty. 20. See, most of these guys have been boxing since they were like 6 or 7 yeah, years old. Yeah, 6, 7, 8 years old. He started yeah. at 20 and goes and wins a bronze medal in the Olympics. That's raw talent. It is. And people want to say, oh, well, it was bronze. 
He could have <laughs> not gotten third. He could have not gone at all. You're going to hate on a bronze medal? Qualifying is enough for me. Yes, you went to the Olympics. You're the man right there, and you were one of the three medalists. There's no hate there. You did that with almost no talent. Yeah. It's all, he's just a raw, man. Like you said, athlete with gloves on. Athlete with gloves on. And I see Fury, it only ends in two ways. Fury by decision, water by knockout. I dead on agree. There's only two ways about that fight. Because I don't see Fury being able to stop Wilder. And I don't see Wilder being able to pile on enough points to win a decision unless he can somehow drop Fury like four times and he keeps getting back up. Yeah. But I see Fury on points. And I even see Fury winning basically every round until he gets caught. Well, and I, that's... Basically, the, the Luis Ortiz fight all over again. Yep. <laughs> yep. That's pretty much what it was. And Luis Ortiz dominated. Man, Wilder show. I was so impressed by Wilder that fight. That's when I became a real big fan. Me too. I was always a fan because I, I'm rooting for the heavyweight division. I'm rooting for my country. We need an American heavyweight to be the face of boxing. And watching that fight, just I saw heart. I saw heart. Yep. There were so many times that Wilder just could have checked out. So he many was, heavyweights would have given up. And he just... And Ortiz, Ortiz, believe it or not, I think he matches up against anybody. He can give Anthony Joshua a run, Fury, uh, you know, anybody, anybody. Absolutely. And I see people say against that, and it blows my mind. Luis Ortiz, he's avoided for a reason. There's a reason a lot of these top guys have not fought Ortiz. He would give anybody trouble, and he gave Wilder trouble. But he also got knocked down three times and did not get back up. I heard that he's going to be on the undercard of the Wilder yep. Fury. Yep, yep, yep. They're talking about him being on the undercard, and right now he's taking shots at Dillian White. Oh, man. Oh. That fight excites <laughs> me. Ortiz White excites me so much. That's going to be a good one. That's That'd be, be a good such one. a beautiful star clash. So what do you think about the whole press tour? That, that little whole three-day tour that they had? I thought it was very entertaining. I mean, if, if you're going to pick a winner, which I don't like to do, but I see people do it. You know, Fury probably won most every press conference. He's... he's 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 a character. Everything he says he has the is gift funny. Of gab. Yes, he's like the modern Ali. Like he can talk all damn day. He can talk. Yeah, what is it about those guys from over there, man? They they just they're the best trash talkers. They really are, man. Like <laughs> Billy Joe Saunders and uh, you know, even like not to go into another sport, but like even a Con- Conor McGregor or something. You know, yeah. these guys just know how to ruffle feathers. They do, man. but I think it all spawns from Muhammad Ali. Yeah, it does. It does. Because I think Floyd and everybody, like, they got it from Ali. And I, I feel like the press tour was necessary. I saw a lot of people saying, oh, they don't need to be doing that. You know, we just want to see the fight itself will sell. And it's like, for our, for, for us diehards, it'll sell. It'll sell for us. But they need to become household names. They need to get these guys into the living rooms of these casuals. Yes. Get them to buy the pay-per-views. Because we're going to buy it. Well, we're going to buy it. I, I don't need to see one flyer or conference and I'm buying it. But, yeah, we need to get it into the face of the people who might not. And this is the best thing in the world for Wilder right now because he wasn't super super known in his own country. I think he will be after this. And I, I'm sure you read, but 
they sold a million dollars worth of tickets in the first 25 minutes. Yeah. Uh, and if you see ticket prices, you'll know why. <laughs> I heard they were starting at 75 bucks. Like, I'm going to go ahead and get me a ticket. My goodness, those tickets are ridiculous. I think they're selling it as a Hollywood event. They wanted it to be a star-studded event. It's the biggest fight in America since Lewis Tyson 2002. That was here in Staples Center. That's even cooler. That's yeah, even cooler. So yeah, so and California, it builds up his yeah. brand. Eddie Hearn's going to regret not taking that deal that he did the first time because now with Wilder winning this fight, getting his market marketing up, everything like that, he's going to demand more money. Yeah, and he's going to and he's going to have the right to. Assuming he does beat Fury, yes, and I yeah, do, I, I think Fury, yeah. he will. But I won't be shocked if Fury boxes him for twelve rounds. I won't either because I saw a lot of vulnerability in Wilder's last fight. And I think that's what made me a fan, seeing him vulnerable and mm-hmm. digging deep and, and bouncing back. Mm-hmm. So it's there. He's beatable. Oh, absolutely beatable. And Fury is a gigantic welterweight almost with his foot movement and head movement. It's pretty impressive to see a man that large be that slick. But it's just tough for me to imagine 36 minutes without getting caught with one right hand, and you're also the guy that got dropped by Steve Cunningham, who was a cruiserweight. Yeah, I think I think the 7th to 10th round, that's when the fight's going to get really interesting. Me too. I think the first few rounds may be boring. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of sticking and moving, Fury just Faints, staying out of his way. head movement. But let's see how long he can stay on his bike. Yep, he's got to stay on the bike. And we don't know where he's at, losing all this weight, coming back off. His two comeback fights weren't that. He, he looked fine in the second fight, but the, the names weren't impressive. And yeah, you, I think that was more just to get rounds. Me too. Getting back in shape. And I know a lot of people were dogging him because of that. Like, oh, he's fighting nobody. It's like, man, the dude was battling addiction and, yeah. you know, I think obesity. The, I think the like, names were acceptable. I just think he should have taken one or two more of those. I think this might be a bit quick, and that's why I lean to Wilder especially. I thought maybe he should have fought some guys that were a little bigger. He should have fought you someone know? like David Price. You know, like, if you're going to fight a Wilder or Joshua or something, wouldn't you want to fight kind of, you know, taller, ranging fighters? Yeah, he should have fought a bigger guy. David Price always comes to my head. He's got some losses. He can be knocked out. He's got power. That would have been a good test for his third or fourth fight. I never saw this coming this quick, but I'm selfish, and I'm glad it is. Yeah. So, December 1st, for anybody that's not aware of that, Wilder Fury, that's going to be... Such an amazing heavyweight fight. Um, all right, I guess I'm going to wrap it up with Felix. We've been going for – this was this was really good, man. I really enjoyed this. Yeah, um, this is the first time, man. <laughs> and this is the first time of many. Felix is going to be joining the show with me every single time, bringing his, his opinions and viewpoints, which I love. You know, it's not just me rambling by myself all day. So uh, thank you for so being with Ser- me, Felix. Sergio coming on uh... – with his article talking about Mexican style and Benito Lopez, all that, huh? Yeah, now we're going to bring on Sergio, who's a little older than Felix and me, and he's going to drop a little little historic knowledge on us for a little bit. He's been writing some stories for us. He wrote one on Ricardo Elfinito Lopez that is uh, borderline breaking the internet right now. So, uh, so yeah, we're going to bring Sergio on. We'll talk about that, and I will hit you up later today, Felix. Thank you very much. Let's do it. All right, everybody have a good day. Thank you. See you, man. All right.
Okay, so we just wrapped that up with Felix. Now we're going to take it a little further east. We're going to go to Georgia. We're going to bring on the third of the three-headed monster in the Sweet Science class. This is my buddy Sergio over in Atlanta, Georgia. He's a little bit older than Felix and I, and he's got a lot of great stories from his dad and his grandpa. So he just brings a little more history to us, you know. I mean, we, we talk about the modern stuff, but Sergio can really give you some old school boxing lessons. So it's really neat to have him on. So how are you doing, Sergio? Thank you for being on. And this is the first of many, many to come. Oh, I'm doing well. Uh, congratulations uh, to you and to the Sweet Science class for and the you. inaugural uh, and you. Uh, podcast. <laughs> uh, it's great. It's great. Uh, the day has been great and, and excited. Uh, excited and, and actually flattered with that introduction thank you so much dustin oh yeah uh, yeah we really uh, we really respect your opinion whether you fully realize that or not you you bring a lot of knowledge to me that yeah, i read stuff from you I, I think i know a lot and then i see you say some stuff like about from the 50s and 60s and i'm like damn <laughs> i just learned something well you know we're all we're all uh felix yourself and i we're all you know uh, not to not to blow our own horn, but we're all aficionados in in, the, in this game, and 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 there's so much, there's so many aspects of it. You know, the history of it, uh, uh, the styles, the you know, uh, the Mexican style, the the American style, the Cuban style, and you know, there's just so many different sub subtopics of the sport, and uh, I was blessed, you know. Blessed uh, my father, uh, Cuban, uh, born and raised. Uh, he wasn't a fighter. He uh, well, he was a fighter. He fought in the Bay of Pigs, and then he was in uh, Fort Benning, Georgia, as a, a CIA communist killing cowboy. But that's another story for another day. But <laughs> he wasn't a bo- he wasn't a boxing fighter. Uh, but uh, he taught me the A from A to Z of boxing and the love and the passion that not only my father has, but the Cubans have uh, for the sport of boxing. It's, uh, you know, the two sports are two national sports, uh, baseball and boxing, but boxing is really an Arabic genetic makeup code. I, I mean, seriously, there's a chromosome <laughs> in <all laughs> Cubans and it's boxing. But with that being said, you know, Dustin, congrats again. And, uh, very excited to be on your first uh, on the first podcast and, and on the show. Yeah, man. And so you said Mexican style, American style, Cuban style. For people who may not know exactly what all that means, right? Why do you think? Why does that exist at all? Is it because they live in that country, so they go off their surroundings and are influenced by that? Why is there styles for certain countries? You know that I, I actually researched that not too long ago and it's interesting uh the mexican style because if, if you step back there's really there's really in essence there's there's four big styles there's the swarmer which i.e mexican style but it's not it not only pertains to mexican for example kid gavilan uh or in spanish kid gavilan uh, a Cuban boxer was a swarmer. Uh, uh, again, uh, Mickey Mickey uh, Mickey Ward, uh, Arturo Gatti, those were swarmers. Uh, obviously, Julio, the great Julio Cesar Chavez, uh, 
When you say swarmer, do you mean just aggressive and they're just pressing you? Right, right. Well, it, it, it's basically, it's, 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 a, it's a, an aggressive uh, going forward style that with, again, uh, a lot of bob and weave, uh, the, 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 that, that person implementing that style, that swarm style, has to have good power, a good chin, and tremendous output. You know, with that being said, you know, the, that Swarmer, that Mexican style was coined by the great Julio Cesar Chavez. And, you know, something that, that, that is very common with Swarmers, you know, it's, it's, they tend to be short in height, stocky, for example. Uh, one of the greatest Swarmers of all time, who wasn't Mexican, Rocky Marciano. Right. Rocky Marciano had... What what did what did Rocky Mar- Rocky Marciano was was seventy seven inches tall, but he had excuse me seventy seven inch reach, but he but he wasn't he was he was I believe he was five ten or eleven. I think he was he, five eleven, and I think he only weighed like a hundred and ninety pounds. For for people I, I who aren't experienced with today's yeah. weight classes and stuff, like back in the day, the heavyweights like Rocky Marciano. He would be considered a light heavyweight or a cruiserweight. We're just getting Cor- bigger correct. as we go. Correct, absolutely. So, but uh, you know, the, the the Mexican style is definitely the the, the swarmer style is the, the most proud pleasing style. But then again, it's it's it it, it, it is you know coin it is phrased Mexican style, but not it's not always Mexicans. It's just a style of fighting, just like there's. The outboxer like Ali, uh, 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 Sugar Ray Leonard, the, uh, you know Floyd Mayweather Jr. These are these are outboxers. It's very very common in the U.S. Uh, this, that style of boxing of, of that slick, a little more know, defensive. Right, 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 right. You know with Wilfredo Benitez, uh, Kid Chocolate, another cu- a great Cuban uh, fighter from the '30s. Uh, it's you know it's it's basically slick, out you know, outboxing in circles, outsmarting, uh, uh, ring IQ, ring gentlemanship. You know the great uh, the great uh, El Finito Lopez, Ricardo Lopez, that I just wrote an article uh, about. That was his style. He was he was an outboxer. He was actually a mix of two styles. I would say he was an outboxer and he was also a boxer puncher. Which is sort of the sort of the counterpuncher, you know. The counterpuncher is also a sub a sub a sub style inside that boxer puncher style. So it's 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 so many. It's it's really four styles, but there's there's subcategories in each of the styles. It's almost like genres of music. It just branches um, off. Exactly, exactly. You know, there's rock and roll, but then there's alternative. Yeah, uh, rock classic, and, hard, and alternative, classical rock, right? Da, da, da. And then you know, there's grudge rock. So there's a there there's there's always a sub a subgenre in, in in what I consider the four the swarmer, the outboxer, the slugger, which obviously everyone knows what that is the 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 big George Foreman's uh, you know uh, the Max Bears, uh, just just think about it the the, the Dante Wilders yep. just the sluggers the Tysons and then there's the, the boxer puncher. Which you know, like Marvis, the marvelous Hagler, uh, as I mentioned, Ricardo, uh, Ricardo Lopez, and uh, you know Manny Pacquiao, Sugar Ray Robinson, 
these are the these are you know I'm, I'm naming legends roberto duran these are the ones that can mix it up and they they'll they'll go into the pocket and slug it out or they'll they'll they'll, they'll step back and use ring iq to to pick you apart uh but that's basically the four the four styles of mexican the Mexican style has, has gotten has has received a lot of uh, a lot of you know a lot of uh, a lot of media due to the fact, of course, Saul uh, uh, Canelo Alvarez uh, being uh, the current uh, middleweight champion of the world, the and, biggest fighter in uh, the world. Excuse me. Probably the biggest boxer in the world right now. Yeah, absolutely. He's uh, he's taken. He's he's without a doubt. He is. The, the new quote-unquote quote, Floyd Mayweather of boxing at the moment. I agree. His fights, his, his fights, his fights going forward are pay-per-view only. And I'll be and I'll be honest with you, I'm surprised that he is fighting in December because I I would think that Canelo Alvarez now is a single de mile and an independent Mexico Independence Day weekend fighter, as was uh, Floyd Mayweather during the last five, I would say five or six years of his career, starting yeah. with uh, with Oscar De La Hoya, which was in, in uh, 07. So uh, I'm very surprised that he's fighting in December, but apparently he is, so so we'll see how that goes. I, I bet, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming it's uh, it'll be uh, 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 just a little tune-up prior to the, 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 the trilogy with, uh, or the re- better, better, uh, better stated, the rematch because the fight that they just had was a tiebreaker, not a rematch. So the rematch with uh, with uh, with Triple G. Right. So I, that, I, I agree. December is a little quicker than I expected, even especially because you know that cut, which you know cuts Hill. But I thought that was a fairly bad cut. I didn't expect him to hop right into December, but he Neither was coming I. off that long Neither layoff, so maybe he wanted to get another fight in before 2018 ended. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, he was he was off exactly one year. One year to the day. When longest he layoff of his pro career. Yeah, yeah, the longest. So, uh, so, but it's just it's just surprising. But nevertheless, uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, but yeah, the, the 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 Mexican style is getting a lot of coverage, and and uh, that you know that sort of led that, and also. What's been going on in the boxing world, the boxing media, uh, the last week, two weeks or so, you know, we had uh, the great Roberto Mano de Piedra Duran come out, uh, again, he's Panamanian, come out and, you know, with a statement to to the people of Mexico that they should give uh, Canelo Alvarez more respect they should respect and respect him and cherish him which i found you know, i i very interesting for you know first coming from a panamanian so you know i'm sure right. some people are like why don't you mind why don't you mind your damn business you know and, and i'm trying to keep it a uh, pg uh dustin <laughs> uh, why don't you mind your damn business one two canelo coming out uh stating that not in these exact words, but implying that demanding respect, you know, uh, you know, and that that sort of led to the article that I wrote uh, last week, 
of you know respect you know i've i've never i've never heard someone demands respect last time i checked respect is earned right and uh and that's what led to the article that that's circulating at the moment uh, well, let, let me let me touch on that let me let everybody know yeah, what article yeah, uh and I'm glad you brought him up a little bit earlier. You mentioned El Finito. For anyone that's not aware, yeah. that is Ricardo El Finito Lopez. He retired 51-0-1. Yep. He had one draw, but aside from that, he was 51 wins undefeated. Um, and Sergio wrote an article four or five days ago that I've been joking about this whole podcast is like borderline breaking the internet. And it really is. It's at four to 5,000 likes, hundreds of comments. We got like 500 shares and it's blowing up. And we're getting so many people liking the page and joining our group from other countries. We don't even speak the same language. We're typing in different languages and hit and translate. And we're having people that would never talk to each other because they couldn't. We're talking and we're getting along and we're discussing our one love, our one passion. And it's it's really neat that boxing and even just this one story from Sergio has united so many races and countries. And we're just talking about what we love. Like none of that matters. It's boxing. It's not color. It's not race. It's it's boxing. So tell us a little bit about uh, the story you got going on right now with the El Finito how well it's doing, and touch on a little, 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 little secret, little, little taste to your next story coming out in the next few days. Absolutely, and well said. Uh, well said about 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 the masses that we're we're experiencing with uh, the sweet science class, and uh, just it's it's amazing uh, how me being Spanish speaking, uh, much of the Mexicans have reacted. To my article, very positive in a positive manner, due to the fact that Ricardo El Lopez, Mexican, of course, and uh, the article really pertains as as I start as I as I stated earlier, uh, what was going on with respect, and I uh, just decided to write 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 this up due to the fact that I recall. When I when 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 my father mentioned him, it was so many years ago. Actually, it was as, as I mentioned in my article. It was it was uh, it was during the, the the Felix Trinidad versus Hopkins undercard, and my father had mentioned him before. But again, I was so young and and I just not paying attention. I was only into the big names, De La Hoya, Tito Trinidad, right. things of that nature. So uh, I decided to write this article because. This pugilist was in a class act beyond any I have, have seen uh, and heard. And uh, he's still alive, and, and he's celebrated all over Mexico, not only for what he has done in the ring, but outside of the ring. One of the most humble, soft-spoken individuals uh, you would think uh, a, a fighter who throughout his amateur and professional career, never lost a bout. Never lost a bout. He never lost a bout in his amateur career. He never lost a bout in his professional career. He experienced a draw in his 48th bout of his 52 bout, bout professional career. That is extraordinary. The one, of, one of the reasons that Ricardo Finito Lopez went went under everyone's radar, including my radar, 
which was so shocking and that and and I touch upon in my article that how can that be you know how how can there be this legend that started his career in 85 and ended it in in 2001 and I started watching boxing uh, in 1993 actually Mexico Mexico's Independence Day in 93 the great Leon de Culiacán Julio Cesar Chavez versus Hector Macho Camacho was my first fight mm. close circuit close circuit with my dad and I had never seen or heard of 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 of, of El Finito uh, Lopez and the reason for that is that he fought his his whole career at the minimum weight or the straw weight depending on the belt 105 pounds wow so uh and that weight imagine you know this is an era that starting in 85 this is an era Mike Tyson, Evander Holyfield, Roy Jones, you still have Duran floating around, mm-hmm. Shimmery Leonard, Julio Cesar Chavez, you have all these names. Big, you know, big uh, guys in size. Uh, what was that? Big big names with also big size. So Abs- smaller weight classes kind of got overlooked. Absolutely. Huge names. Huge names, you know. Uh, De La Hoya, Tito Trinidad. And uh, so... It, he did not the media did not start taking notice to you know uh, of, of ricardo's body of work i would say probably probably going into his 44th or 45th fight i mean we're talking about maybe 1997 98 when you know when when you know past his prime already right and and showtime because uh, he was promoted by don king uh it was promoted by Don King, so Showtime started noticing him, and he was on, on many undercards of, of Julio Cesar Chavez fights, and also of, of Don King, uh, Don King being titled Showtime, Don King undercard fights. Uh, so, with that being said, yeah, my article touches on that, but also also touches upon, you know, respect. You know, here at the current, you know, the current, the current environment of boxing. You know, we have all these champions that, you know, in my opinion, yeah, they're, they're champions. You know, I always, I always say you can pick the fighter you want to fight, you want to fight, but you can't pick the air you want to fight them in. Right. And that's a fact. But you have these champions that, you know, they're middle world champions. I mean, they're all time greats, and you know, it's sort of shocking because. That I, 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 that's a new, that's sort of a, a new, a new, uh, a new era, a new, uh, I guess, a new wave of boxing that that we're seeing. That everybody, everyone coming in is, you know, the best of all time. I mean, the you can't, you don't call yourself the best of all time. The best of all time never call themselves the best of all time. That's that's the key of being best of all time. It's 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 it's, uh, it's it's sort of coined, sort of labeled when when your body of work is marinated. You never hear you never hear Roberto Duran saying he's the best of all time. No, you don't. You hear Julio Cesar Chavez saying that Roberto Duran is the best Latino fighter of all time. That's when you know you're the best of all time. Right. So uh, that that led to this because this uh, Ricardo Finito Lopez. Is considered by Ring Magazine the greatest strawweight of all time. 
Yes, I've and, read that. And, and it, the irony of that is when when the media and the coverage began with 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 Espinito, you know, De La Hoya, Oscar De La Hoya, Felix uh, Trinidad, and Roy Jones Jr. were, you know, they were just peaking. Peaking on HBO, peaking on Showtime. I mean, you know, all three of them were undefeated. And yet there was this undefeated uh, master, master, master uh, pugilist that was beginning to get coverage, but towards the end of his career, past his prime, past his, I mean, prime and peak was a way long ago. Prime is end, had ended. And now they're taking notice, uh, not only due to the, his record and his body of work, but his style. He was, he was literally a general in that ring. There was not one second that he did not dictate the fight being fought. He always, he, I have, I've, I've never seen anyone in the, in the videos that I've seen. I was fortunate enough to catch one fight of Ricardo Finito Lopez live. Uh, I watched it with my father, and it was in the undercard of Bernard Hopkins versus uh, uh, Trinidad in 2001, mm. which happened to be his 52nd bout and his last, last bout. Fight. He bowed out. He bowed out right then and there. Nice. Yeah, 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 yeah. The article right now is uh, is circulating uh, uh, on the Sweet Science forum and also in uh, in uh, in the boxing in the boxing world forums. Online yeah, and, for uh, anyone, if you haven't liked our Sweet Science Class page, go search us on Facebook, and you can easily find Sergio's El Finito story on the timeline, and it's a, it's, it's a fantastic read, and thousands of people have, have been agreeing with my statement right there. Okay, Sergio, before we wrap this up, I got two more things with you. Uh, first, can we have a little little sample on the story you're working on now? Yeah, I have a, uh, I have another uh, another article uh, that I'm gonna I'm gonna release shortly, and uh, it's uh, it's a great story. It's uh, all my boxing stories have they have a main theme about it, and the theme is uh, my father, who I uh, who I miss and I cherish and I love. He was everything to me, and and continues. To be everything to me, even though that you know he's not here, I lost him to uh, to, to stage four lung cancer in 2015 at the age of 80. I had the pleasure, I had the pleasure of 35 years of, of having him in my life. But every story I have has something, no, not not something has to do with my father and boxing, because that was Dustin as 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 fanatics and. And, and, and how much we love this sport, the bond that this sport created between my father and I, I uh, beyond beyond belief. Uh, you know, I you know even when you know he was in Miami and I was in Gainesville, Florida, at school at the University of Florida, we would call, we would be on the phone watching the fights on HBO, scoring rounds, and he was you know like all Cubans, uh, very. Uh, they're, they love bragging. They love exaggerating, and they, and and he was old, you know. Uh, he was old. Uh, he was uh, when I was born. He was old, you know. I was the, I'm the youngest of six, so they they tend to always like to be right because of, of, of wisdom and experience, 
and obviously his knowledge in the game. He started watching the 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 sweet science back at the age of nine in Cuba, so he knew a thing. He knew a thing or two to to keep it at a minimum. But yes, writing a story about another uh, Mexican legend and uh, and the impact that this legend had uh, to the to not only the Mexican people but the boxing world as a whole right in such a short period of time so i'm looking forward to finishing my article and releasing that and uh for those that for those uh, that are listening that that would like to to to, to google the article in on on the sweet science class uh the article is called the, the respected mexican general and it's currently circulating uh, online in the sweet class uh the sweet science class uh forum and and uh, I hope uh, anyone that reads it enjoys it. And uh, please, uh, please uh, stay tuned for the next one. Yeah, y'all be ready for all his stories. I mean, he's killing it. And I really like what Sergio said about the bond that boxing created with his dad because I feel that too because I lost my dad uh, close to three years ago, right around the same time it sounds like you did. And yeah, sorry to hear that, Dustin. Yeah, you too, man. And But... A little bit with boxing, but more so with NFL. You know, I grew up, not to take it to another sport, but, you know, we grew up as Colts and Peyton Manning fans. Of course. And, you know, now I see, you know, people, it can be a a football game on or a basketball game on, and I can see people on Facebook kind of like, well, I don't like sports. Y'all are too into sports. And and stuff like that really bothers me because you don't know what that sport is to a person. It's not just someone shooting a basket. It's not someone running the ball. When I watch football – I'm with my dad again. It's the closest thing we'll ever have. It was our bond. And to me, a game is everything. And a win is amazing. And a loss with your team crushes me. And people think, you take it too far. You're 32. You care too much. No, it's not just the sport. It's about the passion. And it always goes back to sentimental value. And if you got something with your dad who you no longer have, that sport means absolutely everything to you. So I fully love, respect, and agree with everything you say about that. And before I wrap it up with Sergio, I'm going to get your, your, your detailed opinions in the next upcoming weeks because I'm sure we will talk about this topic every week for the next two months. But just to wrap this up, we'll keep it simple. Who wins? Short, just one word answer. Who wins? Wilder or Fury, December 1st. Oh, Wilder. So seems like all three of us are leaning towards Wilder. But, like I said, we will talk about that every week. That's going to be the hot, hot topic until December 1st. So uh, go check out his story, The Respected General, about El Finito Lopez. Check out his upcoming yep. one that will be dropping in a few days. Right. Sergio's killing the game with yep. all his writing. So thank you for being on, Sergio. We'll have you. Again, Sergio and Felix are going to be on every episode with me. It's a three-headed monster, even though you might see me on camera and them just on the phone. They're just as much of a part of this. So thank you for being on, Sergio. You killed it. Your writing is always killing it. And I will talk to you later today, buddy. Dustin, my pleasure. And uh, to everyone listening, have, have, have yourself a great week. And, uh, and take care, Dustin. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you, man. You too. Bye-bye. And now we are going to get into an interview with professional boxer Michael Dutchover, who is 11-0 with eight knockouts. 
It will actually be recorded at a different time from this, but we'll all be in the same episode. So if you're watching on video, you may see me in different clothes for the Dutch Over interview. That is why. It will be about a day apart. But uh, thank you, Felix and Sergio, for being on. And now let's get into the Michael Dutch Over interview. All right, sweet science class. We are back, and we have our first interview with our first professional boxer. He is Michael Dutchover, currently 11-0 with eight knockouts as a professional. He, I believe, was born and raised over here in the West Texas area with us, and he moved over to California. He's here visiting for the weekend, and we're just going to discuss everything he's been up to and talk about his career. So what's up, Mike? Thanks for what's joining up, us. Thank you for having me. And That's right, born and raised here in Midland, Texas. Nice. So what took you over to California? Uh, just you know uh, from my amateur background you know I used to travel a lot um, you know I've seen I've been over to Ohio you know New York um, Louisiana and California all over the place and just me fighting in different places you know different I have different eyes looking at me and um, in California at uh, my trainer now, he had a fighter fighting at a national pal tournament. And one of his fighters had seen me and we're good friends. And that's how like just two and two got connected. He said, uh, the fighter told my coach now, he said, you gotta check out this dude, Mike from Texas. And so we did and you know, we got in contact by mutual friends and you know, two and two put together, met up, have a great chemistry, you know, his, uh, I live at my my coach's mom's house in California now, okay. and so you know we just develop um, kind of. He's they're like family. All right. of them are family. I have another family over there in California too. So it just made more sense for a successful career to be over yep. in California. And exactly. Yeah. So when did you move there? Right after I graduated. I graduated high school in 2016, middle of high, and then um, I knew I wanted to go pro. I had already I lost, uh, or I didn't lose. I um, I won a bronze medal at the Olympic qualifiers uh, my senior year in high school. And, you know, so I was just looking at my, after I lost, um, I got my bronze medal, my Olympics, uh, I was shooting for the Olympics. And then, you know, my Olympic dream was over. And so, you know, I just went back to the drawing board. I said, what can I do next? And, you know, I had this opportunity to turn pro in California. And then, you know, we, I did it. I did it, went back to training. I did a full training camp, uh, all of them. As soon as I graduated, and I was sparring with world champions at that time over there in Cali, and you know, just everything turned out to to be great. And you're only 20 years old, right? 20, yes, sir. And you're already 11 and 0. Yep. And you say sparring with champions. Well, you mentioned to me earlier, uh, your stable mate and actually someone you've sparred with yeah. is Daniel Roman. Danny Roman, shout out to my boy Danny. <laughs> and for anyone who isn't aware of who he is, he actually fought last night on the DAZN card. Yep, first card that they had. That was the first and he card. had a wonderful fight, 10th round stoppage. Uh, that's incredible that that's your stablemate and that's someone that you get to spar with. I'm sure exactly. you learn a lot from someone like that. Yep. And y'all are with Thompson Boxing? Th Thompson Boxing Promotions. I'm also co-signed uh, with Bannon Promotions also. And that's based out of, uh, out of Philadelphia. Very nice. So why did you start boxing? Was it just for fun, a hobby, for self-defense? I started boxing kind of two reasons. You know, um... My first sport, my first love, I've always been athletic, you know, I was, you know, I was from my family and everything, and I grew up, I loved football, you know, I'm still a big football fan today, as everybody sees me always rocking my Dallas Cowboys, you know, and 
have uniforms and stuff. And I've just always been a big football fan. Football was my first passion. And, you know, my every, my family knows that. And I grew up in the GMFL, the Greater Midland Football League. You know, the running back. You know, I played many different positions. But as everybody knows, football has an off season. And so during my, what was it, like second to third grade, you know, I was I was playing GMFL. And I got to fourth grade level. And football has an off season, so I wanted to stay in shape. And at that time, my oldest brother, Junior Dutchover, was boxing at the Midtown Soldiers Boxing Club at the time. And I was like, I want to stay in shape for the football next season. So I was like, let me try boxing to stay in shape. And the, the first day I got in the gym, started hitting the bag, shadow boxing learning technique, and I never went back to football after that. Were you a fan of boxing before you started doing that? Mm. Or did you do that and then start watching boxing? I did that. No, I wasn't before. I was all, all about football. And it was like football and track. That's basically what I did. But uh, once I started uh, getting into the boxing because of my brother, then I started watching boxing. Then I became a fan, and I started seeing fighters like on TV. My Personally, my the fighter that I grew up watching and inspired me was Miguel Cotto. Once I first I saw him fight, I think it was like, against Pauli Malignaggi. Mm-hmm. That that fight, you know, that was years ago. And yeah. That like made me six, I believe. Yeah, that made me like that gave me the passion. I was like, man, I I want to be like that, you know. So that's what started it lit a fire in me, and I just haven't stopped since. Yeah, Miguel Cotto's always been one of my favorites. His retirement was a pretty sad moment for me. Yeah. So what you're in the one twenty six, one thirty. You even said one thirty five weight class. Yeah, I'm a you're trying to work down. I'm, yeah, I'm a lightweight right now, one thirty five. Okay, so. How long do you think it'll be since you're already 11 and 0 before you ever get one of these big fights? Because you're kind of swimming in the waters with Loma, Mikey Garcia, yeah. Tank Davis, Tevin Farmer, Miguel Burchell, Pedraza, who just took out Beltran. Yeah. You're in a a very star-studded ocean with people around you. Do you think that's anything in the near future? Will that be a couple more years? Of course, in the near future. Yeah, you know that. That's what I'm shooting for. You know, we don't. I don't fear nobody. The only thing I fear is God, and so. Uh, I want to. I see myself at at that at that talent that they are too. Right. You know. So, I think within the next uh, couple of fights, the next uh, years of my development, you'll see that I belong in the top tier of the fighters in my weight class. Also. And this is your full time job. Full. Yeah. You were just a boxer. Yep. It's all in right now. Dedicated to boxing. When do you think you'll ever do an, a fight back over here in this area? Maybe we are we are planning um, 2019, 2019 maybe in the middle of 2019. I should have my. I'm hoping for my first first fight close to home. That'd be exciting, man. I can't even imagine how many seats it'd fill up. You'd yeah, have such a following exactly. if you had a local fight. <laughs> That's the goal. That's the main goal, man. You know, just I love I love coming back here, coming back to Midland and. No, talking like I've been busy this. Uh, I was going to say, speaking of you being coming. back, can you tell us about your weekend? Because I've been following you on Facebook Live, yeah. and you've been talking to kids, football teams. Yeah. You did a news segment. So tell, take us through your crazy weekend. All right, little, uh, just, the, just the weekend gather up. But I flew in on Thursday. Um, uh, news, what was it, CBS 7. CBS 7 was waiting for mm-hmm. me at the airport. So I started like that. I was, I was oh, like, they were at the airport. Yeah, they are at the airport. And, uh, <laughs> Shout out to uh, CBS 7, and, you know, we did a quick segment with them, and then I was off to, I'm, I'm still training. Uh, that's my main priority, 
right after that, I got off the plane, went to go train with my brother, Junior Dutch Trevor. He's also my assistant coach. And he, um, we fly him out to all of my fights also. He's my assistant coach. I trained, then I woke up at um, early, about 5 o'clock in the morning, had a CBS uh, live interview at 6 a.m. Friday morning. Then I started visiting the schools. I did the school visits. I visited uh, General Franks Elementary, talked to some amazing kids there, man. It was crazy seeing uh, the questions that they were asking. And, you know, you know I was just, seeing some of the I videos. And yeah. I thought that they would ask, you know, little kids questions. Yeah, that's what but I was They saying. were asking some legitimately good boxing related questions. And I was like, wow, they seem interested in, like, that's they're asking what good questions. And it just, it, you know, it made me happy. And I was like, me. Midlands has a bright future, you know what I'm saying? Just to hear that from the kids, you know, that's what I want to keep pushing and uh, make a, a big Midlands success story. Not many people here, you know, uh, uh, Midland athletes, you know, they're making it big right. because, you know, they steer down the wrong path, you know. So I want to keep pushing it, keep pushing it, you know, for for these athletes and kids and everything to, to be successful, not just in sports, but also in life. Right. And then, okay, so first I had the General Franks and then, I had a meet and greet at Midland High, and that was that was huge. That was big, man, because I'm a Midland High alumni myself. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I had an autograph signing, and lines are crazy. I've never, never been that long before, and so <laughs> it, it was awesome. It was an awesome feeling. It's got to be exciting. Yeah, and then after that, uh took a little break and then went to San Jacinto, talked to their athletes there, you know, to kind of motivate them, inspire them, give them – a real story, you know, because right. that's what they, their coaches wanted me to want to movie. speak. Yeah, it's like it's a real story. It's a, and so they heard it from me, got them pumped, felt like they had a good practice that day. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and then rested a little bit and went to go train again. And then um, to last night, you know, with my the big event, the amateur boxing show that I used to fight at all the time, also. And so it was great seeing those kids there. And we did a, I did a raffle for my gloves that I fought in. I'm pretty sure you've seen the, uh, it was my 10th fight with the, the second round of KO. That's the, the highlight one. KO. Yeah. When you finish up, I'll get back to that. The, um, I raffled off those gloves to benefit a personal friend of mine. His mother's battling cancer. And so the benefits uh, went, went to him and his family. And it was just great to help out that. man. it was like brought tears to my eyes from my friend. You know, they were so just happy that. I came and, and did that and, you know, just, and that's things that I want to do every time I come back, you know, that's what I'm all, all about. And, you know, and I'm here today with my boy, Dustin. Yes, sir. <laughs> first episode, man. Yep, this means first a episode. lot to me. And what I was, uh, can you give me the guy's name with your 10th fight when you got that second round knockout? Sergio Ramirez. Okay. Yeah, if you have not seen that fight, this is pretty much, in my opinion, what broke Michael Dutchover's career out of the box because... I had heard of him for a few years from some local friends of mine, and I'd been kind of watching him, you know, 2-0, and 3-0. and But when he – go YouTube that fight. He, in the second round, one punch drops this guy, and it might not have, like, went viral normally, but in the boxing community, it most definitely went viral, and everyone all of a sudden was all about Michael Dutchover. So it's really exciting to have someone from where we live where not, no boxers come out of this area – so it's really cool to see someone like this, only 20 years old, already 11 and 0 with eight knockouts, totally living his dream. Um, really, I gotta say, man, is just thank you very much for being here. Uh, 
someone like me who's never been in the ring and I'm obsessively obsessed <laughs> with boxing. I yeah, live vicariously awesome. through that's people awesome. like y'all. And if you ever fight here, I mean, from 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 now to the day you retire, if you're fighting yeah. in any fight, if you're fighting for a belt, I know you got an army of people behind you here, and you yep. definitely have me standing in my living room screaming Dutch over his name. That's what's up. So I really appreciate you being here, man. This Thank was our you, first episode. I think it went really well. I think you're taking time out of your busy schedule. Hope you have a safe trip back to California, and I just wish you all the best of luck. Before I get you out of here, I know you. I know you watch current boxing. One word answer. Who's going to win December 1st from the heavyweight monsters, Wilder or Fury? One word answer? One word answer. Man, I don't like one word answers. <laughs> I, I, you know, you know, but, yeah, boxing, because boxers, we, we break it down to the T. Well, let me hear you it. Know? Let me hear it then. Let, let me, me hear a little breakdown no, before we you. get you out. Wilder. You got Wilder? Wilder. Because he's wild. That's a wild man. That's a wild man. <laughs> I mean,. Fury on points, Wilder by knockout. That's yeah, I, I'm cool with that. Yeah, that's I'm probably cool where it's that. gonna go. Yeah, something like that. All right, that. man. Well, look, thank that, you. But that's the thing, though, with the, these heavyweights, man. It's hard because you never know one punch. And one punch can end it. Yeah, I mean, of course, we say that for every every fight, but literally, where it means the most, one punch can literally change. Yeah, your any one punch heavyweights. can any fight. But yeah. these men are 200, 300 pounds. That's, yeah, exactly. Six nine, six seven. Yeah. They'll turn your lights off with just the touch of a finger. Yep. So this is a very exciting fight for anyone. Uh, but I also am shooting for Wilder, you know, because the American, you know. So see that—that's so. what I'm feeling like. I, I like Fury. I like AJ. I don't necessarily always care about I the like country AJ thing, too. but at the same time, it goes back to the Ali days. It's cool to have an American heavyweight yep, champ. Exactly. So I'm rooting for Wilder all the way. Same. And, hey, man, next time you get back over in this area, I'd love to have you back on again. Yes, sir. Uh, Sweet Science Class is a big fan of Michael Dutchover. Y'all check him out. Also, Follow him uh, on Facebook. Yep. Well, watch my next fight will be November 16th in Ontario, California. Um, and I've noticed you're real good about streaming your fights live yep. on Facebook. Love love that. You know, the more any way possible that can get a um, new fan, you know, to watch my fights, you know, streaming We'll do it. We'll do it. So f go add, follow, like him on Facebook. He's always streaming his fights. And trust me, if you follow this page as well, I'll always be sharing his stuff. So you'll get it from you'll get it from both sides. And yeah, man, good luck. And I hope to see you with a belt around your waist soon. You will. Thank you, man. You will. And that's it for this episode. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. And I really hope you enjoyed it. As always, I thank Sergio and Felix for being a part of the Sweet Science Class team. And until next time, remember to keep the science sweet.